Hebrews 10. We're going to start today in verse 10 and read through 23. Hebrews 10, verse 10 on to 23. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until the enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there are no longer any offering for sin. 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you bring your word to the forefront of our hearts? Would you open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see and know and cherish your word? To understand the depth of love you have shown to us through your Son and the giving of your Spirit. Lord, that we might not be uh, that we might not be Pharisees, that we might not be uh, ones who take advantage of your grace. Lord, that we would know that we would know what you have called us to, for you have sanctified us and called us into holiness. So make that known to us today, that we might live to keep your word. For Christ's sake, Amen. So. Uh, we're, we're concluding this portion of Hebrews chapter 10 this week and uh, just sort of a reminder of what we've been doing. We've sort of approached this chapter from the middle out. We started at verse 19 and understanding that we're, we're called to draw near to God in confidence and in full assurance. And so knowing that, we've looked at the... the Basically, the whole book of Hebrews, but specifically these verses, the first few verses in Hebrews chapter 10. And we've seen that the confidence comes from the triune God, the Trinity at work. The will of the Father to sanctify us and the work or the offering of the Son, the work of the Son to, to accomplish that will. And then the witness and the work application of the Spirit to apply the will of the Father and the work and the offering of the Son. And it is that, and only that, that we can find confidence to draw near to the throne. Uh, that last hymn that we sang, he says, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. 
We don't sing that hymn because we are coming to the throne uh, proud of what we've done or how much knowledge we've gained or the faith that we've mustered up. But we come boldly to the throne because of the will of the Father that has set us apart. The work of the Son as an offering to make that possible. And now today we look at the witness of the Spirit to testify to you, to remind you of the boldness that you can take because He's reminding you of the the will and the work of the Son. And not just that, but applying to you that will and work of the Son. So, the two things I want us to see today as we look at this witness and work of the Holy Spirit, which begins in verse 15 and works its way down to verse 18, As we turn our attention to the Holy Spirit, I want us to think about how the Holy Spirit gives us confidence to draw near to a holy God. And we have to keep in mind, we draw near to a holy God apart from Christ, apart from the will of the Father. We end up, as we said in Sunday school and we talked about last week, like Nadab and Abihu. So how does this happen Two things we're going to see, and I've already said them. And we're just going to look at them in, independently. He testifies. The Holy Spirit gives witness. He brings evidence. And number two, he applies. So first, he testifies. Now, let, let's read verse 15 and 16 before we really think about this a little bit more in depth. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, and then there's a quote in chapter in verse 16, a quote of Jeremiah 31, which we read uh, for our call to worship. And and it is said, uh, Jeremiah prophesied, this is the covenant speaking on behalf of God. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Verse 17, end of quote of Jeremiah. And then the comment, and then the, the author of Hebrews says, Then he adds, that being the Holy Spirit, he continues his statement and his prophecy. And then quoting again Jeremiah, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So here's what I want us to how I want us to think about the testimony of the Spirit. Now I want you to bear with me because I'm as Paul says, I'm going to speak in human terms for the sake of the illustration. Uh, but imagine, imagine that the effectiveness of God through Christ is on trial. Okay? And the world wants to make known that the work of the Father and the Son are ineffective. Not able to give you confidence. Not able to give you access to the throne. The prosecutor, the world, wants to make a case that you have no confidence in the will of the Father and the work of the Son. That God has not set you apart. He's not sanctified you by the offering of the Son. Therefore, you have no assurance of faith to draw near to God. So how does the Father make His case? Again, I'm speaking in human terms, so don't, don't, uh, don't hold this against me. But he calls the Holy Spirit to give testimony. Right? That's how we begin verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness. He is testifying to this work. 
Now, why would someone testify? Why would you call someone up to give testimony, to be a witness in court? It's because they have evidence, right? They have evidence to prove the case. So what evidence does the Spirit bring? Now, in the most simplest form, as as the author of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah, a prophet of God, who is speaking on behalf of God, not of his own, but by the Spirit of God, the author of Hebrews wants you to understand that he is quoting a promise of God. These words that are brought up from Jeremiah are a promise. They are a promise to show the the betterness, the best, the betterness, the bad word there, to show the goodness of the new covenant, to show the confidence that's going to be found in the work of the God and the work of God and the Son. So how is this how is this going to happen in his testimony? The Holy Spirit is wanting you to understand that God has said it and he will do it. He has promised it. And of course the 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 world would press it on against, well what good is a promise? Because I know that someone's broken a promise to you. And even so, you've broken your promise. But the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. This is a promise from God. And in thinking about the promise from God, the Spirit would remind us that the promise of God in the new covenant, the promise of God of salvation in Christ goes back before the ages Begin. The Word of God is eternal. And he would also remind us from Timothy that the Word of God, the promise of God, is secure because God cannot lie. And of course, the questioner would ask the Holy Spirit, well, how do you know this? And he, he would simply say, because I am God. And I have spoke it. I have said it. And what I have said, what I have willed, will come to pass. So I want you to understand that the the initial witness of the Spirit of God is simply the promise of the Word of God. Didn't, Didn't Jeremiah say that? No, it was God who said it. It was God who spoke through Jeremiah that it would happen. That a new covenant would come. And not just a new covenant, but a new application of that new covenant. And not just any covenant, but an everlasting covenant. A better one. And by this covenant, he will, as he says in verse 16, put his laws on our hearts and write them on, her, on, his, on our minds. And then in verse 17, in this new covenant, he will remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. So, what do I want you to take away from that? Is there's going to be some days, and I, it might be today, might be tomorrow, might be six, 60 years from now. 
There's going to be days that you feel common, unholy, unclean, unworthy to even open up your Bibles, let alone enter into the presence of God. You're not even going to want to close your eyes to begin to pray because you feel the reality of your commonness before God. And there is truth to that of our unholiness and in our uncleanliness. But you've got to remember that God promised before the ages. He willed it. He has worked it. And he has witnessed to it yesterday, today, and forever that you have been made clean. You have been sanctified by the will of God through the offering of his son. You are a saint. A holy one. You have been sanctified, seated, where? In the heavenly places. Which is in the presence of God. You have been separated from a sinful world. You have been justified by the blood of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You have been made perfect. Verse 14. You are a covenant child of God, an heir with Christ. And how do I know this? Because the Holy Spirit says so. The Holy Spirit gives testimony to the promise of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. He cannot lie. He keeps his promise. So draw near to God in confidence, not in yourself, but in the eternal, rock-solid steadfast, never-failing Word of God. Now, just conclude the first point of the testimony of the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. You will find confidence and assurance to draw near to God only in the words of God. If you look to yourself, if you stop seeking Christ and the truth of your eternal life in the scriptures where they are revealed to you through Christ by the Holy Spirit, if you look to the world, if you look to your wisdom, if you look to your spouse, if you look to your religious practices, you will not have confidence or assurance of faith. But instead, you will take the opposite path and continue into sin. Verse 26. You will go on sinning deliberately. So the question stands, and I want to ask you, do you feast on the word of God? You cannot trust the promises of this world and dwell with God. You must trust in the promises of the word of God to dwell with him. You cannot live as a saint, a holy one, separated from sin, if you do not live in the scriptures. Again, I'll say you cannot live as a saint, a holy one, separated from sin, if you do not live and abide in the scriptures. Look at John 17. Beginning in verse 13. I know we've gone, we went through this in Sunday school not a few weeks ago. John 17, 
beginning in verse 13. As Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, Sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus quotes also the words of God through Moses. In Matthew 4, when he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and declares to the devil in the wilderness... That man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God has willed through the offerings of His Son and sanctified you. He has given you His word that you might be sanctified. You must live in His word. You must Take up home in Christ, the incarnate word. And now, let's move on to the second. How does the Spirit give witness to us concerning the will of the Father and the work of the Son? He does give testimony, declaring it to be through His word, but He also applies that which He has spoken. He applies it to us. Now, here's... Here's what I mean by that. The testimony of the Spirit is made known most effectively by the Spirit when He personally applies the promise of the new covenant to you individually for whom the Father willed and whom the Son was offered. In a simpler way, how does the Spirit give you evidence to the effectiveness of the gospel and the new covenant? By living in you. By living in you. In you, thus giving you confidence of your access to the presence of God. Now, before we work this out, I got we got to lay a little bit of groundwork. And we've studied um, we've studied the solas this this eve in our evening services through October, and we saw that salvation is by faith alone. Right, justification comes by faith, not of our works. But the, here's the question I want to ask you before we look at this. The application of the Spirit. What is the greatest evidence of of true saving faith? Because you know what James says about faith. He says even the demons believe and shudder. But even in their belief, they're far from the kingdom. So what is the greatest evidence of saving faith in your life? It's not how many times you come to church. It's not how nice you've been to your neighbor. It's not how many uh, dogs you save from the pound. The greatest evidence of saving faith in your life is a hatred for your own sin. 
to say it positively, it's your love and desire to keep the commandments of God. Saving faith is paired with a love and desire to keep the commandments of God. And ultimately, what is this? This is a pursuit of sanctification. This is a pursuit of holiness. This is a pursuit of Christ-likeness. Now think about this for a moment. You consider the will of God the Father and the work of God the Son, their love, sacrifice, the shed blood for the removal of the forgiveness of sin. What would be an appropriate response to that work? I can tell you it's not to keep on deliberately sinning, as he says in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 26. But look at, flip over to chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What is the appropriate response by faith to the will and the work of the Son? It is to strive for a holiness because without it you cannot see the Lord. You cannot draw near. Now flip over a couple pages to 1 Peter. To your right. Chapter 1. I'm just going to read verse 3 before we get to the, the part that I want you to see. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So we know the audience of Peter are those who are born again. The truth he speaks are those to, who have been born again by the Spirit of God. Now go down to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that uh, will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. Now, as you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, let me read one more verse for you. If you'll make your way back to Hebrews 10, let me read this for you out of Thessalonians. For this is the will of God... Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, 
because the Lord is avenger in all these things, as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has called it. He has not just sanctified us and then left us, but He's called us to pursue purity and holiness. But in, he, he follows that up and says, Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. Disregards not man, but God. If you, if you claim the name of Christ, then you must be in pursuit of Christ-likeness. If you're not, you are disregarding God. And to disregard God will give a response, will will garner a response from Him on the last day when He says what? Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. So how does all this tie back into this work of the Spirit? Well, in this Thessalonians passage, He says, but God who gives you His Holy Spirit... So we've got to understand that God has given you His Holy Spirit in order to pursue Christ-likeness. The God who willed your sanctification, the God who gave you His Son as an offering for your sins, also gives you His Spirit so that you can pursue holiness, put to death sin, and be like Christ. So how does that work? And how does that give us confidence? Now, I want you to think about Israel for a second, okay? Now, before I, before we start talking about Israel, let's let's read once again in verses in verse five or fifteen and sixteen what we see happening to the members of the new covenant. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. Here's what he's going to do. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So we go back and we think about Israel. We think about them coming out of Egypt, redeemed by God, to worship God, to take them into the promised land. And what does he give them? He gives them his law. And he told them to keep it and be blessed or break it. And be cursed. How did he give it to him? He wrote it on tablets of stone. But in the new covenant in Hebrews 10, we see something different. He says, those who will make a covenant with after those days, I will put my laws not on a tablet of stone, but on their hearts and write them on their minds. Now, why would he do such a thing? Why, why would he write it on their hearts and their minds? How does that help us? Well, if you think about not just Jeremiah's prophecy of the new covenant and the way that God would work through the new covenant, but also Ezekiel, and we won't turn there for time, but I'll just I'll read to you what Ezekiel says. He says he... Uh, will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So in the new covenant, when God writes his law on our hearts and our minds, he is doing that to cause you, not encourage you, not give you a motivation, but to cause you to obey and keep his commands. So how can I be confident of my access to God? How can you know and be sure that God has willed your sanctification by the offering of his son unto eternal life? What evidence is there to prove these realities? And the evidence is the work of the spirit in your heart and mind giving you a love for God's commandments and a hatred for your sin. The evidence the evidence that gives confidence by the Spirit of God is that you desire to put to death the deeds of the body. You desire to put off sin because if you have been given the ability to obey commandments, then you have been given a desire to hate sin, to put it off and to put on Christ's likeness. And if the Father has willed to sanctify you through the offering of His Son, He has also given you His Spirit to conform you into the image of His Son. And that's why in verse 15 it says, He also bears witness, because we have from the Father the work and the offering of the Son to sanctify us, and then the giving of the Spirit to continue to sanctify us. So now it begs the question, does your life bear the evidence and witness of the testimony of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? Because here's the problem, if not, if you have no desire to be like Christ, then I want to warn you to beware of the fire that comes from God that consumes Nadab and Abihu. If you have no desire to keep God's commandments... If you have no love of God's commandments, if you have no uh, internal drive to put to death sin, you must repent. You must believe in the word of God. If you have no desire of this way, your, your faith, your belief is no different from the demon's. But see, you must trust in Christ. And trusting Him, acknowledge a need of Him. Now, you cannot forget that our trust in Christ is also the acknowledgement that we do not have what it takes. And you do that, and He forgives you. And He gives you His Spirit to cause you to walk in His ways and obey His rules. I want to conclude by bringing this all together And showing you the confidence we have in the triune God through the will of the Father, the work of the Son, and the witness of the Spirit. Now, this was real clear in my head. And I'm going to try to communicate it as clear as it was in my head. Because it was real helpful for me. And I want it to be real helpful for you too. So if you notice something in this passage in 15, 16, 17... And what the Holy Spirit is promising and doing to all who are in the new covenant. I I pray that you see this. And that this gives you confidence and assurance to draw near to God. 
in Christ, to love Him, to live for Him, and to long for Him. But I want you to see the promise of the new covenant says this. Number one, I will help you keep my law. I will help you obey my commands. I will make it possible. And I do it by putting the law in your hearts and minds. And you're like, yes, that's wonderful. I can now, I'm freed from sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. I can keep the law. I can, I can obey God. And I'm going to, and let's just say, I'm throwing out a number. Upon that point, 50% of your life, you do that. Knowing that before that time, you didn't do that none, zilch, nada. And let's just say, again, this is, I'm just throwing out a number. 50% of your life after being uh, unified in uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 50% of your life, you are keeping the commandments of God because God has put his law in your heart and mind. Now, what about the other 50%? Now, that makes what? A hundred percent. Here's the here's the thing. Here's here's why you got to keep in mind here. The only people who can draw near to God are the people who are a hundred percent righteous. Now, if you have by the Spirit of God, the grace of God, been able to keep His commandments for fifty percent of your uh, redeemed life, what about the other fifty percent? It was kept too. But not by you. By the life and blood of Christ. The new covenant, this is very theological, is win-win. You can't lose. He's equipped you to do what's right. And when you fail, He's forgiven you for failing. It's win-win. And what should that do? Give you confidence to draw near. It should give you assurance in your trusting that God wants you in His presence. This is what makes the new covenant better. God covers all the bases. You must be perfect. You must be righteous to enter His presence. So that's what God did in the new covenant. That's what He's done for you in Christ Jesus and the giving of His Spirit. It's a win-win. God's done it. He's willed it. He's worked it. And He's applied it. It's all in Him, not of us. All of Him. And that's what we see in Hebrews 10. God has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Those who have been set apart by the will of the Father and the offering of the Son. Therefore, draw near to Him. And we haven't spent a lot of time on what draw near means. But I'll just tell you the first step of drawing near to Him is to running away from your sin. Because those are the two options in this chapter. Draw near or go on sinning deliberately. 
Turn from your sin and draw near to Him and do this with confidence and assurance of faith because it is Him who has willed and worked in you for His good pleasure. And so as we move forward in the rest of this chapter, I want you to understand that this is not just a calling for you to go and do by yourself, but this is a calling for you to do among the covenant community, among the church. And God has given us our brothers and sisters in Christ for this very purpose. And for the rest of Hebrews chapters 11, 12, and 13, it's going to give us a better understanding of what drawing near to God looks like. So if you're a little bit iffy, like what is this drawing near supposed to look like? Number one, just know that it is turning away from your sin, and we will come to the rest of it as we work through chapters 11, 12, and 13. And you'll see that we will be drawing near together in Christ. Let me pray. Our God and Father, would you shine the light on the darkness this morning? Whether that be within us or around us, Lord, reveal more of the gospel of Christ to us that we could walk out these doors unashamed Lord, ready to love and live and long for Jesus. Apply these words to our heart by the indwelling spirit that we would have affections for obedience. And desires to, to be an, a part of the covenant community that is seeking to draw near to you. By your grace and mercy, we ask and receive all these things in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and respond in our...